Well, good morning again. It's a privilege to be able to bring God's Word to my friends and my brothers uh, this morning here again. Uh, you know, I, I think maybe it's a contest that each of us here is maybe trying to get the other to read the longest passage out of the Old Testament, but uh, we'll see where we're at next week. So, um, and I would probably suggest make yourselves comfortable. Um, might be a little longer. One of the one of the things in preaching uh, preparation is that you don't want to get lost in the weeds, but I really tried to mow this down, but there's a lot here. So with that, Luke chapter 9, verses 1 to 27. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave the town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, and because he was, it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see them. And on their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. And when the crowds learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. And now the day began to wear away. And the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding village, countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, Well, we have no more than five loaves of fish, five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, Had them set down in groups of about fifty each. And they did so and had, had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, twelve baskets of broken pieces. And now it happened that as he, was, as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah and others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. And then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? 
For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. May God add the blessing to the reading of his word. Would you pray with me? Heavenly and Holy Father, this is your word. And Father, I pray this morning that I bring nothing of myself uh, to this. Father, that your word would be proclaimed here with authority by the power of your Holy Spirit, that it would transform hearts and lives here today. Father, I ask all this in Jesus' name. All that I need, all I need, fill in the blank. All I need is more money. If I just had a little more money, things would just be just a little bit better in life. All I need is a new car. If I just had a new car, I could get from point A to point B a little better. Maybe find a better job to make more money. Or all I need is to feel better. Right? If I can just feel better, then maybe spend more time with my family doing things that we all love and stop feeling the ick. Or maybe the upcoming, all I need is the Huskers to have a winning season this year. Right? How often do we finish that sentence in that way? Too often do the temporal wants and needs for this world overshadow the sufficiency we know and have in Jesus. And too often do we allow those temporal things to be Lord of our lives instead of Jesus, who is Lord of all. Our text this morning marks the end of Jesus' Galilean ministry. It also brings to conclusion Luke's painstakingly effort to reveal his readers who Jesus is by the constant question, who is this? And it's really answered throughout all of Jesus' Galilean ministry, right? Jesus is the Lord of nature so that the raging seas calm at his command. He's the Lord of the supernatural, casting out evil spirits by his word. He's the Lord of life as he restores a woman to health. He is the Lord of death as he raises a young girl from death. With our text this morning... I hope we can find, I hope we can find and come away with knowing that he is the Lord of all. And not just knowing he's Lord of all, but also that he is all we need. So some questions I want to, I usually try to ask a question to everybody and kind of keep it on the forefront of their mind as we walk through the sermon. But this time I have three, so I'm really making you work. One. Is his kingdom sufficient for you? Two, is the Lord Jesus enough for you? Thirdly, is Jesus the Lord of your life? Keep those three questions in the forefront of your mind. So in your bulletin, you will find what we would call the big idea in the outline of our time here this morning. And the big idea for our time this morning, hopefully in one sentence, explains what we're going to be talking about, is that Jesus is Lord of all and all we need. 
Jesus is Lord of all and all we need. And first point, and we have three points to make, and the first point is this, his kingdom. His kingdom. And in that kingdom, we want to see about, look at his kingdom authority. His kingdom authority, verses 1 to 2, and he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. We read in Genesis 41 when Joseph's proposal pleased Pharaoh and he realized the spirit of God was with Joseph. He, the sovereign Lord of his kingdom, gave him power and authority over all his kingdom. Except Joseph didn't have power over him. And here Jesus gives power and authority to his apostles, but not over his kingdom. We will be mindful of that, but over the things within the kingdom. And only certain things within the kingdom. It's power over demons and disease. But most importantly, it's the authority to proclaim the kingdom of God. His kingdom. Jesus' kingdom. And notice, too, that it's gospel first, then healing. Right? Proclaim the kingdom of God and heal. Preach the gospel. They went on to preach the gospel and healing. The latter is always the effect of the prior. And within, and within Jesus' kingdom, Jesus sets rules. Now, one of the attributes of God is order. Everything is specific, exactly in his time. He's the Lord of providence. Jesus being God, the Lord of all, is particular in his orders. And we will see this again in our text as we go further. And Jesus gives them power and authority and sent them out. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. And do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. Husbands and young men here today, when you're packing for a trip, and your wife or your mom comes in and says, is that all you're taking? Just know that you can say, well, Jesus told me to pack light. So we're good. Take only was their orders. They were not to be the center of attention and they were not and they were not the only traveling show. There were other missionary folk, philosophers and preachers going around setting up tents and stages proclaiming their gospel to the people. The apostles were to be not as those. They were to be set apart as Jesus has set himself apart. Jesus wanted the apostles to know that God would provide them with all that they needed. Take nothing with you. Preach the kingdom of God. Nothing else needed to be added to it. And sermon, sermon preparation is really close to the same thing. Bring nothing, of your, bring nothing of yours for the journey. Just trust and know God's word and proclaim it with power and authority as given by Jesus. Friends, Jesus doesn't need us to add anything 
to the gospel of His kingdom. It doesn't need a big concert band to draw young people in. And it doesn't need skillfully planned programs uh, to draw families in. And it definitely doesn't need, I'm stealing this from Kyle a little bit, but it fits the profile. It doesn't need a styling, profiling, limousine riding, jet flying pastor. It just doesn't. All we need is Jesus. He has equipped us for work in His kingdom, and it's His kingdom that they will go on to reject. And one of the interesting things I found in these verses comes in, in verse 5, and, and wherever they do not receive you, when you leave the town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Now, contrary to, contrary to popular belief, this, this doesn't suggest a short-fused, hostile approach to spreading the gospel. Not at all. In fact, it was a gracious warning to those who rejected the kingdom. You see, one of the practices of the Jews was that if they traveled to an alien village or a country, they would shake the dust from their feet and garments so not to carry it any, any, uh, any Gentile residue into into God's place into God's people the action the the action of the apostles here symbolically declared the Jewish town who had rejected the kingdom to be like a pagan to be like a pagan or a Gentile it was to make people think about their spiritual condition and by grace lead them to repentance and to the kingdom of God take nothing but also take nothing away. Is his kingdom enough for you? Do you maybe have some dust that needs to be shaken off? The effects of the apostle proclaiming of the kingdom of God and healing is, is now starting to be heard at the highest level. And there's reasons for that. Verses 7 to 9, we hear, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening. And he was perplexed because it was said some that John had been risen from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old has risen. And Herod said, Well, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Who is this? You see, the power and authority of the gospel isn't always received as good news, but it's also it's always seen as a threat. Some say it's John raised from the dead, but I beheaded but I beheaded him. Some say it's Elijah or one of the prophets of old. Who is this? In Herod's mind, this is an invasion. Who is this that is making kingdom? proclamations. See, Jesus sending out the 12 isn't just a missions text, though it gets treated as such. But what it is, it's an assertion of power and authority by King Jesus. And the one who is in power is curious and not in a way of repentance. Right? He already tried to snuff this out 30 years ago when he heard of one that's going to be born the king. 
And then he, and he snuffs John out as well for proclaiming the same message. You see, Herod's curiosity was never one of seeking after God's kingdom, but one of protecting his own kingdom. Is his kingdom enough for you? Or are you more curious about protecting your own? Is a question we really need to get to the heart of. The second point is this. I want to see about his person. His person. You see, the gospel being proclaimed here isn't the gospel of Jesus as we preach today. It's the gospel. It's the good news of the kingdom of God that was there and now in the person of Jesus Christ and his work. For in his person, Jesus shows he is Lord of all and all we need. And what Jesus understands is human need. Notice in verse 10 that on the apostles' return, they told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew to a town called Bethsaida. Now Mark tells us this is a desolate place. It's a wilderness. Knowing the strain and weariness of preaching and healing and the need for rest and prayer, he takes them to withdraw from the people to a desolate place. But in verse 11, when the crowds learned it, they followed him. Notice the next verse doesn't say they hid so they could rest. Now Jesus welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had, who had need of healing. If Jesus understands human needs, well, shouldn't Jesus be all we need? Now, it starts to get a little more interesting here. In verse 12, we read, Now the day began to wear away. And the twelve came and said to him, Well, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. Now, they are way out in the wilderness. There's no Aldi or bakers, right? No flatbread uh, bakeries or, or hummus stands anywhere to be found. They are in a desolate place. And there is great need here. Again, the, the apostles have a habit of kind of getting in a panic fright and saying, Jesus, don't you know what you're doing? They are in a desolate place. And Jesus may have some human experiences in this though, right? He spent 40 days in the wilderness with no food and tempted by the devil to say, hey, turn the rock into food. Turn it into bread. Therefore, you can eat. He's like, then Jesus rebukes him and says, well, all I need to live is, is the single word of God. But he says to them, you give them something to eat. You. Definitive, you give them something to eat. And they said, well, we have more. We have no more than five loaves and two fish. And there were about 5,000 men. Now, to be fair to them, this was a tall order. And we can't blame them, really, because we're guilty of the same. How often do we come up against some big obstacles and think God to be inadequate for the task? We let him be our Lord of salvation, but not really the Lord of all. And what Jesus does next is show them what else he is Lord of. And quite simply, 
he shows them that he is the Lord of creation. Have them set down in groups of 50 each. Again, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of order. Right in the creation story, there's a perfect order orchestrated, you know, by number. Here, the hundred groups of 50 are no different and are a resemblance of the Mosaic camp. And in verses 14 to 16, he says this, for there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples uh, to set before the crowd. Now as the disciples came back to Jesus, he kept handing them loaves and fish. Every time they would come, he would have a loaf and a fish. Loaf and a fish. Jesus is like, I can do this all day. Loaf and a fish. Loaf and a fish. Because he is the Lord of creation. And the apostles are going, man, we're never going to have to buy food again. Loaf and a fish. Loaf and a fish. And it continues to feed the 5,000 people until they were all sufficiently full and had need of nothing to eat anymore. Their hunger was satisfied. And they all ate and were satisfied. And in the Old Testament reading that Kyle read for us, God also heard the grumbles of his people, of his people's hunger, and supplied them with manna, bread from heaven, and quail. And every day they all ate and were satisfied. What Jesus wants them to know, and, and if we're in, in John's account, he follows it with Jesus proclaiming that he is the bread of life. Jesus is that bread that sustains. He is the bread that sustains our every, our very life and all that we need. Is the Lord Jesus enough for you? The person of Jesus knows human need, is the Lord of creation, and is also the Christ of God. See, everyone else has been asking the question, and now Jesus asks the question, who do the crowds say I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah, and others that the one, uh, one of the prophets of old has risen. Again, we're repeating what Herod has heard. Millions who, so one, even today, the answers are different, but have the same context, really. You know, Jesus was a prophet. Millions who embraced Islam believed Jesus was the greatest prophets, one of the greatest prophets, but really not God. He is fiction, a made-up story to give hope to the hopeless and the poor. The really most prevalent view of society today is that he was a good moral teacher, a good man, and even the best of men but definitely not God. And C.S. Lewis strikes out against this with what is probably one of my favorite quotes uh, of his. He says this, Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, and you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. 
Then Jesus asked his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God, the Messiah, the anointed one of God, Lord of all, the one whom scripture has been foretelling for thousands of years. He has come to proclaim the kingdom of God. How would you answer that question? Who do you say that I am? Is Lord Jesus enough for you? The person of Jesus knows human need, is the Lord of creation, is the Christ of God, and he's also the Son of Man. And he strictly charged and commanded them all uh, to tell this to no one. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Friends, the Lord of all creation was born a helpless baby, grew up in a broken and sinful world, will proclaim the best news ever heard by mankind. The kingdom of God is here. He will suffer many things and be rejected and be killed. And on the third day, be risen. What a God we have. What a king we have and what a savior we have. The Son of Man isn't just only language for the one who will suffer, but it's also a title of the one who will come again as a conqueror and make make all things new, for he is crowned Lord of all. The third point we want to make is this, losers and keepers. Now, I can't claim this saying. This is Kent Hughes' saying, but I, I thought it fit. It's, it's, it's beautifully put, um, and I think it, it fits this text perfectly. Um, losers and keepers. This is really another one of those texts that people really have a tendency to just butcher a little bit. You know, well, you know, I... I'm struggling, uh, I've gotten divorced and struggling. Well, that's my cross to bear. Or, you know, I have a, I have a bum leg or whatever, and it just, it's never going to heal. So that's my cross to bear. Well, folks, that's not the context of the text at all. What Jesus is trying to get them to say, get them to understand is like, Bearing your cross is giving up that kingdom and accepting this kingdom. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Those listening to this, for those who are there at this moment of time and when he will ascend and they will continue on to proclaim the kingdom and establish the church, There are those there who will physically bear the cross. They will bear suffering. They will bear being stoned. They will bear being beheaded. They will bear being burnt alive. There is real truth here in this text for those listening at the moment. But for whoever would save his life, will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. 
What are we losing and what are we keeping? Are we trying to keep a life within our kingdom or are we trying to lose a life in our kingdom and gain something more precious in His kingdom? For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Other translations said, lose your soul. What are you losing? And what are you keeping? Because what you're keeping is of this world, then that keeping, that will go away. But if you lose that and you keep that which your soul will have rest for eternity, and that's what we should be keeping. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed. The context of shaking the dust off your feet, leaving that of the world behind, is extremely important in Jesus' eyes. You cannot keep that with you and continue to be a part of His kingdom. He is the Lord of all and all that we need. And when He comes in His glory and the glory of the Father and of the angels. But He also tells them there are those with Jesus who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now that is true here. There are those with Jesus right now who will see the kingdom of God. Come to the next test of the transfiguration where they will witness the glory of God. They will hear the voice of God. They will see the glory of God put upon Jesus and those gathering around of old. They will see the glory. Then they will see the glory of God when Jesus ascends into heaven. And John gets to witness the glory of the kingdom of God as he witnesses the revelation of King Jesus we hope to one day, <clears throat> we, most likely we all will taste death before we see the kingdom of God. But we don't know that for sure. Again, God's time is God's time. We hope to one day see the Son of Man come in His glory and the glory of His Father and of the holy angels. As we earnestly continue to pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Four takeaways I want to I want to leave with you here today as we wrap our time up here. First is this: preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ is all you need. No bells, no whistles, no programs, no big stage shows, but Jesus and His Word is all. And friends, that's enough to bring awareness to the highest authorities. Secondly, God is adequate to provide for anything and everything that you may need. In the great words of James Hadfield, nothing else matters. Thirdly, be able to answer the question, who is Jesus? And then fourthly, make good kingdom choices. The table before us is a reminder that Jesus, the Lord of all, 
gave all. That we and the world and those who believe in him would receive the kingdom of God. The table is a foretaste of that kingdom. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the gift of your Son, who is Lord of all and all that we need. I pray as we leave today that we can understand that and we can accept that into our lives. That as we come against certain trials, as we come knowing that we need certain things, knowing that God will provide for them, for those of us who cling and proclaim his kingdom. Father, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you noticed as Les was preaching the two very different ways that Son of Man got used in that text. One of them, Jesus says that the Son of Man is going to suffer many things and he's going to be crucified. The other speaks of the Son of Man coming in glory. In fact, not just his own glory, but the glory of the Father and of the heavenly angels. The table this morning 